0: Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the Active Growth podcast. On this podcast and on the Active Growth blog, we often talk about becoming a more effective entrepreneur. And I choose those words very deliberately. My focus is often more on you, the person, the entrepreneur, rather than on the technicalities of your business. Because sure, yes, marketing tactics and smart business practices and using the right tools in the right way, these are all things that matter and make a difference to the success of your business. But there is a foundation here that we cannot ignore. What I believe is that good, highly effective entrepreneurs will build successful businesses almost no matter the circumstances. And on the other hand, someone who doesn't have these strong habits, who isn't an effective entrepreneur, won't end up with a successful business, no matter the tools and tactics you pile on them. So you've got to start with yourself. You've got to start with becoming the kind of person who builds a strong business. Stephen Covey, famed author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, calls this the character ethic, starting from the inside out, so to speak. And I could not agree more with this concept. That's why my focus is so often on what you can do to become a more effective entrepreneur. And today's episode goes at the core of this in a way that you might find surprising. Today's episode is about how to build a stronger brain, a brain that is more capable of intense focus and creative problem solving. And those things really translate into productivity. Those are two things you have to be able to do as an entrepreneur. You have to be able to focus, you have to be able to focus for long periods of time to get stuff done. And you have to have this ability of flexible thinking and of creative problem solving. In today's episode, I talk to two of my team members, Miguel and Matt, and if you've listened to the group podcast, you've already heard from them. And they're the perfect candidates to talk about a specific aspect of building a stronger brain, which is cultivating the mind-body connection. We talk about the habits that we've developed and the things that we do physically to keep our minds sharp and to help build a stronger brain. You can find the show notes for this episode where we link to all the resources mentioned here at activegrowth.com forward slash 22. Right there, you can also leave a voice message, ask us any questions, or leave a written comment if you have any feedback or any questions. So that's activegrowth.com forward slash 22. And with that, let's start the episode.
1: I'm Shane Malach. I'm Mikael Malet. I'm video editor at ThriveThemes.com.
2: And I'm Matt Totten. I'm a content marketer, copywriter for Themes and Active Growth.
0: Let me lead in with something that made headlines, which is sitting is the new smoking, which I have to say, you know, whoever came up with that's pretty good copywriting. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's pretty catchy, right? Yeah. Sitting is the new smoking, but but the idea is this is something that struck me a bit because the idea is that sitting a lot is unhealthy, which is not surprising, but it's unhealthy in a way that you can't just compensate for by then going and sweating at the gym for an hour. And one of the reasons I bring this up is because, well, if you're listening to this podcast, it's very likely that you spend most of your day sitting, staring at a screen. That is one of the you know, the, the glorious entrepreneurial life, right? The digital nomad life is mostly sitting and looking at a screen.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And, And this is not very good for you. And it's not just not very good for you, because you know if it was just bad for you, then it wouldn't belong on this podcast. But it's also not something that helps you be productive. Now, Mikhail and Matt, you both work remotely, and that is that adds to the problem because you know, it's all well and good to have like your, I don't know, treadmill standing desk at home, but you can't exactly pack that thing up and, and take it with you. And it's just something that also in talking to other entrepreneurs and talking to digital nomads, especially, I've just noticed that you know, this comes up a lot where everyone's like, well, by now, I think everyone's kind of aware, oh, this is really bad for me. All this sitting I'm doing is, is no good. And how do we solve that problem? So that's that's what we're going to talk through today is... The things you can do to counter all of the sitting and the things you can do to kind of um, wild up the way you work a little bit. So to to finish the thought about the sitting, right, in case you've missed these headlines or in case you've missed these stories. From my perspective, I was always like, I don't have a sedentary lifestyle because I may be sitting and working all the time, but I go to the gym a lot. I walk a lot. right? I tend to walk everywhere instead of using motorized transport. So I felt like, well, I get a lot of movement. It's all good. But as it turns out, if you sit five hours in a a row and then you go to the gym, then sure, the gym is good for you, but it's good for you in different ways than the sitting is bad for you. So all of that badness from the sitting just still accumulates. Mm. And, and, well, one of the things you've got to do is you've got to sit less. Yeah. (laughs) So
1: what are some things that you guys have done to... To, you know to incorporate this in my case i came across some information about sitting on the floor mm-hmm. and how different it is uh, compared to seeing it, sitting on a chair because also the problem of, of sitting on chairs is that you stay super static mm-hmm. um, same position for hours whereas if you sit on the floor you can sit in many different positions and it actually after five to 10 minutes, your body says, can we move? Right. So you naturally shift around more. Exactly. And apparently that's better for circulation. And uh, at least for me, what I identify if I sit a lot for a long time is that my brain gets dull Mm -hmm. and it loses, you know, sort of a little subtle, tiny spark. Mm -hmm. And I saw that sitting on the floor kept me a little bit more awake. But at the same time, takes time to get used to that right so is it yeah so is it distracting because if you're
0: like getting uncomfortable and shifting around is that you know distract you from your work is that something you can do while you're doing like deeply focused concentrated work or have you found
1: that i would say that mobility your degree of mobility has a lot to to say there Mm -hmm. because you can sit in different positions and for example i i have a hard time sitting uh, for long periods of time with my legs crossed and that might be because of my short flexibility or my short mobility on my lower back. So I would say that someone who has spent 30 years sitting mm. and then they try to, to sit on the floor and work, gonna have to be, it's going to be super hard to concentrate. Yeah.
0: So maybe to start with that. So what I like about this is that anyone, you know, anyone can do it, right? As long, well, probably not in a coffee shop or something it might be a yeah. bit weird, <laughs> but like you can, if you if you're at home or at an apartment or whatever, you're sitting at a desk and working, you could just move to the to the floor. But I would say then, and this is something I personally haven't tried by the way, but I would say then maybe to start out, do it when you're doing kind of the the less brain intensive work, rather than answering some emails or something where it doesn't really matter if you're not like a hundred percent in the zone. Right. And, and yeah, that's, that's like a really simple intervention, even though it might feel a bit weird sitting on the floor all of a sudden, but interestingly, right. It's kind of as simple as that. And if you think about it, well, yeah, sitting on the floor is actually way more natural than sitting on a chair. right? Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. We're super used to soft surfaces as well. So it takes time.
0: I think it's interesting that you use the word spark, right? You said like your, your brain goes dull when you when you don't move and, and kind of gives you a spark, or it's missing a spark when you don't move. And this is also one of the reasons um that I wanted to cover this on a podcast. I read this book called Spark <laughs> by uh, John Ratey, I think. And this book is about the effect of movement and exercise on mental performance. And This was an interesting book for me to read because, you know, coming into it, I was like, yeah, I'm aware of this. Of course, you know, exercise and movement helps you concentrate better and and so on. But I kind of I guess I didn't take it that seriously. Or I thought I thought it was one of those things that makes like a 10 percent or a 20 Mm percent difference, you know. But it turns out the connection is way deeper than I realized. And they he presents a lot of studies that they did, for example, in um, in. Uh, schools, you know, like really difficult schools, right, where where there's just like a really poor culture, um, where they have a lot of problematic students, really low grades and things like that. And they tried interventions where they just get kids to exercise more or, you know, get kids to, to just do some cardiovascular exercise for like 30 minutes at the start of the day. And the difference is like night and day, right? It makes a huge difference to their ability to concentrate and to their ability to just perform mentally. So, and I'll put that book in the show notes as well because Yeah, that's also one of the things that really changed my mind about this and why I think this is a topic that's important for entrepreneurs, because man, this can make such a big difference to how well you work, whether you're sitting there hunched over and like you say, you know, brain fog setting and you don't even notice because you don't know. You don't know how different it can be, right? Whereas if you then incorporate some habits to get yourself moving, some more can make a huge difference. I think this goes deeper to um
2: kind of why is, why did the human brain evolve the way that it did? Why is it big and massive and so capable of high cognitive function? And there are people now speculating that the human brain moved for very complex human movement. In fact, Mm -hmm. humans are one of the most complex movement animals on the planet. Mm -hmm. So this kind of sparks the idea that we evolved for complex movement and the cognitive Benefit is a secondary byproduct of that So this actually means that the less kids move The lower their cognitive potential over time and I've even heard of studies where they took two groups of kids and One group had two cram study sessions and took a test And then the other group had a study session and went out and played and took the test Mm -hmm. and There was a significant difference that the kids that played actually did better on the Mm -hmm. test so this is kind of scary because in places where I'm from, like America, we're doing away with um, yeah. child activity and, and play and recess and for more, more studying. Cramming, exactly, and it's yeah. actually the, the science is kind of showing like that's the exact wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. And when you study hunter-gatherer groups that are very complex movers, I mean, so I have... I make the argument that um, there's kind of a range of human beings in terms of domesticated humans that live in domesticated environments. Mm -hmm. Domesticated environments are super simple. So domesticated organisms will will sort of be be simplistic organisms and match their environment, where wild organisms live in a wild, complex landscape, and they will sort of adapt to the complexity of that landscape Mm -hmm. and then be more complex movers and potentially more complex thinkers. So my thought when this comes to productivity and, and uh, your daily work environment is you kind of want to make a wild workstation for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, so the question to me is, it's not what's better like sitting or standing. It's are you moving all day? So are, yeah. you, are you cultivating a daily work environment where you can move from sitting to standing to sitting on the floor? Um, and how does that, will that not not just improve your body, but your cognitive processes and your productivity.
0: So one of the things that we've done here that we did, for example, in the apprenticeship, um, the second one right, for Thrive Themes is that I got a bunch of laptop stand thingies where basically it's like a collapsible, fairly lightweight thing that you can just prop up. You can put it on a table and put your laptop on the stand and it moves it from a sitting height to a standing height. And this is something that I, I recommend everyone try because the great thing about this is that it's pretty cheap, right? We paid something like, I don't know, 20 euros a piece or something. Mm -hmm. It was pretty cheap. Um, they're quite lightweight and you know, like the worst case scenario is it doesn't work for you. You don't like it. And you've spent very little money, you know, so because, you know, compared to like getting a standing desk right away, pretty expensive or a motorized desk or something. But what I also really like about it is that is the simplicity where, You can, for me, when I stand working, I usually stand for maybe 40 to 70 minutes or so before I feel the urge to sit down or just change position, right? So I'm not standing all day, but I'm also not sitting all day, which means I'm constantly transitioning between the two. And so having this simple stand where it's, you know, it's like two motions going from a standing to a sitting position, I don't have to like, you know, re-rig the whole desk or anything like that um that That is a really important factor to me. I think if I had a you know a standing desk, even if it's like a one with a motor or something, if it takes like one minute to move the thing up or down, mm. then you're sitting there and you're like oh, i can't be bothered right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but but the simplicity of just having this little stand and that's that's really the thing that has worked best for me to make it effortless for me to just stand more. And I kind of
2: take this a step further and I know I'm a bit weird, but (laughs) so standing and sitting in a chair are not my only two options. Mm -hmm. Like Mikel says, and I lived in Japan for a couple of years, and this is where kind of operating on the floor became really important to me Mm -hmm. because I would look at 90 year old Japanese people and they are incredibly mobile, active people. And I started to think, well, it's because they're going through their entire range of motion every day. They're doing reps, just going down to sit on the floor to have dinner. Mm-hmm. or then um, they use the uh, squat toilets or were very common, less common now. But I mean, they're just doing reps every day mm-hmm. using their hip strength and mobility. So I started for the same um, sort of standing desk prop Shane was talking about. I can also just put it on the floor and sit, sit and work. Or I can go into one of those deep squat positions, which should be a human rest position. But most of us don't have the mobility. We lose it around four or five years old because we start sitting in chairs so much so um, to reclaim that squat position which is super healthy for you and Mm -hmm. for all sorts of reasons like I also work in so I kind of have four positions yeah standing chair which I actually hate sitting in chairs like I, I rarely do it now I'd rather sit on the floor
0: or the squat position yeah so to go back to the, the thing about complexity of, of movement that you talked about there's it reminded me of a TED talk that I'll have to I'll have to look up but there was a TED talk about where someone made this case about you know brain size increasing with complexity of movement right uh, that I think is, is a worthwhile one so we'll put that in the show notes by the way also this standing desk thing the, the laptop stand thing that we talked about we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well I've also tried a, uh, a thing called free desk which is has like more surface. It's not very, not very transportable, Mm. but like for a home desk, that's a really good solution. And we'll link to all that stuff below, but you get back to the complexity of motion. There's another thing here where, um, or at least an intervention that I've kind of added to my life on the one hand. Yeah. Making sure there's, there's more motion like we talked about in your everyday work. Right. But also for my own exercise regimen for a very long time, so for a long time, I was practicing martial arts and I was practicing many different types of martial arts. And I think one of the great advantages of that is just so many different ways of moving, right? So great complexity and, you know, it's a combination, it's a bit of everything, you're, you know, as a martial artist, you're not super strong, uh, but you have, you have got strength and flexi- flexibility and speed. You've got a bit of everything, right? So I think that was really good. But later, so in the last five years or so, basically all of my exercise has been uh, weightlifting and i really enjoy it feels great but it is not it doesn't have this complexity factor Mm -hmm. right you you there's a couple of movements and you get better and better at lifting heavy things or moving heavy weights across those few movements it's just there's no complexity there right or i mean not no but the more serious you are actually the more serious you are about just getting stronger the less complexity there will be Mm. right A, a real power lift or we'll do like three right, we'll do like the, the deadlifts and squats and bench and then some auxiliary exercise and that's it right, and that's also something that lately, you know, I've been noticing that I'm quite unsatisfied with that also because I'm not very strong so it's a bit sad, you know, Just specialize in something like oh, no, that. Lift. you lift, you can pick up some weight. I can pick up some weight but it's like, you know, if I go to a powerlifting competition they, they barely let me in the audience you know, <laughs> so so, so so it's like I you know, it doesn't really make sense for me to specialize, is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't make sense sense for me to specialize on strength. And it's actually much more satisfying for me, instead of grinding away at, you know, getting slightly stronger at something that still isn't, you know, like it's not a competitive weight, even it's it's much more fun for me to to mix it up, right? And to be like, okay, you know, I'm still doing my weightlifting motions, but I also do like cross-training. And I deliberately, you know, I I'll pick some skill. Right, right now I'm trying to I'm trying to learn the muscle up. Right, yeah. and so and that's something where I can can make faster progress. It's more motivating. Yeah. And you know, and then once I once I have the muscle up down, it's optimistic, right? <laughs> let's say <laughs> let's say I get there. Either I have it down or I give up on it. And I'll try something else. I'll pick some other skill. And so that's another way in which this. Um, you know, on the one hand, for my for my personal health, but also for this brain factor, where I'm like, you know what? I want to get more variety into how I exercise. I yeah.
1: you know a psychologist who says if you want to get a look on how the inner world of a person looks like, put them in nature, put them in the mountains, mm-hmm. and see how stable they are, how easily they they move in not so flat surfaces. Yeah, and I'm sure that all what you all what you just said about Learning new movements adds up this capability in the brain that I'm sure has many effects yeah. across other areas. I mean if you're able to move more, you're able to feel better in other situations but, as
2: well. But why is it put somebody in a natural environment? Because it's a complex exactly. random yeah, exactly. environment. This is this is like, something
0: I've always this is actually something I also noticed when I I don't have this so much anymore, but it used to be that I always got a sore lower back from walking around, but only from walking around in cities, <laughs> right? If I'm out on a on a rocky path or something, no problem, walk all day. Yep. Uh-huh. And that's also something where I, also, I always thought, you know, it's like this kind of the monotony of, of just always walking on a solid flat surface. There's mm. something about that that's clearly not it's, good for you. It is a repetitive motion injury. Yeah. That's what it is yeah.
2: because every surface is the same, Everything's right degree angles, ninety degree yeah. angles and flat and um, that's that's the environment domesticated humans live in yeah if i if I break it down into that sort of thinking and um, this is one thing I really got into kind of being barefoot or wearing minimalist shoes mm-hmm. and running barefoot about eight years ago and that mm-hmm. was my greatest teacher because I started to see. Even city environments very differently. Every surface had a story to tell. And, you know, I can tell you six different types of asphalt, concrete, Mm -hmm. gravels, like everything's different. It's very stimulating from a physical sense. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a bit crude. But (laughs) I kind of say now that um, I go out running because I also like doing martial arts and kind of playful movement practices and weightlifting. But I go running when my feet get horny, is my joke, <laughs> because I, I do it barefoot now. And it's like when I need that like high sensation from all these different surfaces. And mm-hmm. um, there's just something being on like random surfaces that doesn't bring about the same sort of repetitive motion injury that walking on a flat
1: city mm-hmm. surface does all the time. Hmm. To add on what you just said, when, when people ask me, oh, how, how was Lisbon when you went there? Usually, yeah. one of the first things that I say is, yeah. "I love the floor." Yeah. That's true. That's
0: so great. In Lisbon, everything is uneven. It's uneven. The, it's hilly. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it's like uneven on the macro and micro level. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful to walk there. That's true. Yeah, because it's
2: cobblestone, <laughs> and then there's trees growing up. So like uh-huh. the roots will push the stones out of the way. <laughs> yes. So it's it's yeah. a more of a natural city yeah. in that way. Yeah,
1: which sure, gives so. you a t- total different. Uh, information on your feet. Yeah. Because it's, it's like you walk in a normal city and you don't expect anything to happen below your foot. Below <laughs> yeah. Your feet. yeah. But there's like, wait a minute, I need to be, <laughs> pay attention here. Yeah.
2: And so we but, all wear minimalist shoes now. Yeah. So even if you're not barefoot and you've got like this three millimeter sole, you can still pick up so much more surface information
0: than you can in a thick sole shoe. Yeah. Mm. So that's, I guess that's another tip, you know, move to Lisbon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> it's a pretty good place that's to yeah. live, actually. So. so another thing, another intervention that I tried and that and I was surprised at how well this worked was to to wear a fitness tracking or just step tracking device. Mm-hmm. So have, you, have either of you tried that? Yeah, yes. I
2: used to use Fitbits. Uh, how was it for you? Um, I was using Fitbit up until, like, I had a model that, like, leaked acid on me or something back when they were early and then i i kind of stopped using them but um i just picked up this stat because i'm really into native like hunter gatherer cultures because mm-hmm. they're living in these complex environments and they tend to live very old if they make it through childbirth and like mm-hmm. um don't get like blunt force traumas or something they live old they live into their 90s and stuff and so there was a study i can link to the study where um Nearly nine and ten of these um, Bolivian subsistence hunter-gatherer uh, people, between the ages of forty and ninety-four, had clean arteries and faced virtually no risk of cardiovascular disease. And they're walking on average seventeen thousand steps a day. <laughs> and they're what, moving. Yeah. And what you get? What you get like on a lazy day when you? My, yeah, super lazy is like.
0: Uh, 2 to 4000. Yeah. yeah. I think it can I think it be less. Yeah. If you if you if you are you know sitting and doing the thing where you're sitting in front of a desk and if you use let's say a car to get most places you can have a sub 1000 step there for sure. Yeah. Like I've noticed that because yeah I've also uh, done step tracking and in fact I I advocated I'm not wearing one right now. The only reason I'm not wearing one is because mm-hmm. strangely enough I get wrist pains from uh, wearing uh, something uh, at my wrist around my wrist. It's the only reason because When I started using uh, the step tracking things, um, a couple of important things happened. First of all, it reframed walking as a a good thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of being like, oh, I have to walk, you know, 20 minutes to go to wherever, I'm like, oh, I can get some steps in as a reward. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's important. That's important because otherwise you're always like efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Mm. Whereas there you're like, you know what? I'm going to take a break, get some steps in. It's good, right? Yeah. So that's, that was one of the big things it did for me. But the other thing is, and from, from the ones I tested, I tested a bunch of different devices. And I would recommend a Garmin device. Mm. And the reason I would recommend a Garmin device is two things that it does. First of all, it will give you a move reminder. So if you've been sitting for like an hour, it buzzes. And the, all of them do that. But the great thing about the Garmin one is that it will it will then guilt buzz you. It'll shock you. <laughs> <laughs> no, <that's laughs> it. But no, it will guilt buzz you um, again. So most most devices will just buzz you once mm-hmm. as a reminder, oh, you should get up and move. But if mm-hmm. you ignore it, it will just not buzz you again all day. Yeah. Whereas the Garmin device does it twice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it also it displays it in a way that it makes you feel like increasingly guilty about not having responded to the to the buzz. And that, that I think, is really good. Because what I often do is I'm in the middle of something, so I won't just jump up as soon as this thing buzzes, you know. And then if I, I, I want to finish the thing I'm working on, but then maybe I forget about it. And so that second buzz is really important, right? Yeah. Uh, and the other thing it does is it has adaptive step goals. So instead of just arbitrarily going 10,000 steps a day, it will base the steps on how many you take and it will basically always try to push you to get a bit more. Uh But I think that's, you know, I think that's better because depending on your lifestyle, you know, maybe you'll hit 10,000 steps anyway. Right. And it will then push you to get more, Hmm. but also maybe it's just, you know, 10,000 steps is like 90 minutes walking. So maybe that's not something you'll do. It'll give you a step goal that you can accomplish if you push yourself a little bit. So, and yeah, I have to say, you know, I thought that this would make no difference. I thought that, you know, you get used to it in like two weeks. You're like, ah, oh, crap, you know, I don't care anymore. This worked for me, <laughs> this worked great yeah. for me. I was definitely walking more
1: and sitting less when I was wearing these devices. One of the TED talks that has had a most uh, plausible impact in my life has been about muscle mass, mm-hmm. about this study or this university where they studied uh, the relationship between longevity and how much muscle there is in your body, mm-hmm. and it turns out that um, the more muscle mass that you have, the longer you live. Yeah, in the old the... age especially, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that that just made me become super aware of my exercise habits. But also, um, one of the reasons I decided to start sitting on the floor as well was because I used to hear that you can get an idea about mm-hmm. how physically healthy as a person in terms, if you look at how long it takes for them to stand up yeah. from sitting on the floor. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that's
0: that's something you can try out right now, right? You sit on the floor. I mean, if you're listening to this driving a car, don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you can try this out. Like, if you sit on the floor and then stand up without using your hands, okay? Yeah. Just stand up from a sitting position to a standing position. The longer it takes you to do that and the more, like, props you need to get up, the sooner you will die. This is a very this is yeah. very accurate prediction it's of how scary. long <laughs> it's, it's yeah, called. super scary. It's,
2: and so there's actually a Brazilian cardiologist that's been running this long term, like ten year plus study. And it's basically, they have a point system. So you lay down on the ground on your back. Okay. <laughs> and then you stand up to your feet. And then how you, so I think you start out with like 10 points. And then as you touch the floor or your body or you have to grab onto something to stand up, uh, you lose points. And then, so however many, like there's a certain threshold at which if you lose enough points, you have less than 10 years to live. Right. And this is a (laughs) long-term study because it it just makes sense, right? You're you're losing your mobility. And if you lose your mobility, this is a feedback loop of doom Mm -hmm. to where you will move less and you'll lose more muscle mass. And going back to the muscle mass thing, I mean this is super critical because this is your this is your metabolism. Your Mm -hmm. muscle mass is your metabolism. This is the metabolic overhead that burns calories. Mm -hmm. The calories you burn on the treadmill one hour a day are nothing (laughs) doesn't even count because you're just going to go you'll be hungry you're just going to eat those calories later (laughs) that night it's how many calories are you burning when you're laying down when you're sleeping when you're sitting at work that has to do with how much muscle you have on your body Mm -hmm. and i'm not talking about being a bodybuilder i'm i'm talking about the muscle mass your body naturally wants Mm. at its kind of potential so Mm -hmm. when we when we talk about burning calories don't think about it in the gym think about it like every hour of
0: every yeah, day the other 23 and a half hours exactly <laughs> And this is this is like the real longevity benefit yeah. so in this in this 10 point system is time a factor
2: is uh just, i just i think they were just the, the brazilian cardiology study was um, was just a point system right but if right. you can basically lay on your back and and stand up without touching anything your body or the floor or anything else like that's 10 points
0: and you're well we have to try that right now then
1: all right yeah.
2: So, we'll
0: land back, but yeah. Line your back, and then you just stand up without using anything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I have yet to live. We're immortal. We're immortal, <laughs> we're immortal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No doubt. What if you can keep up? Is that like, to get a bonus point for oh. that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that'll be version two. Of that. So, <laughs> so you get an extra 10 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Bonus. So, one more thing about exercise is that I recommend that... First of all, like have you, as you've gathered from this this conversation, you should definitely exercise, right? If you, if you want to be... If you're in a creative field... I mean, also, if you don't want to die young and all that. But um, if you're in a creative field, you should use exercise as a tool to sharpen your mind. And so one more thing about exercise is that I recommend that you experiment with the timing of your exercise because exercise can make such a big difference. I mean, it can make difference long term, but it can also make a difference, let's say, acutely, right? So if you exercise right now, then in the, let's say, two hours afterwards, your brain performance will be different from, you know, four hours later. So for example, I tend to not go to the gym in the evening because I feel that that's a bit of a waste of this effect, right? So I go to the gym in the evening and then I go to bed. So one of the things I recommend you try is exercise first thing in the morning as a as a way to get a boost, right? Mm. Because a lot of people get their most productive work done in the morning. And so you can amplify that by you know exercising, then doing the work um, to kind of get an even higher spike in productivity. Another thing that I most commonly do is to use exercise to kind of get a spike, you know, after the lull. So I'll get up in the morning. I'll do some very light exercise in the morning, but not, you know, not like anything that makes me sweat. More like a limbering up sort of. Exactly, yeah. Um, And then I'll do a couple of hours of work where I also tend to get my best work done. And then like noon, lunchtime, after that, I start feeling that lull. So for me, it's really good to go um, to the gym either right before lunch or like shortly after lunch. And then I can get like that boost for the afternoon where normally I'd be like, oh, fuck. (laughs) So, and that's something, and it's not the same for everyone. I've talked to several people about this and, you know, some people love the exercise in the morning. Some people hate it. It doesn't work for them. So, but I would really encourage you to think of exercise as a tool that you can use to specifically make a difference to your productivity and see where can I insert that in my day to get the, the greatest benefit.
2: So like, um, basically a lightning rod at the midday lull to get you back into productive yeah. work in the afternoon.
1: Yeah. Even what I tried was going for a 20-minute run in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And again, just 20 minutes already kicks those endorphins. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like if I, heard, I heard someone say, if you have an antidepressant, that, you know, yeah, yeah. the the best the best antidepressant that you can take is just running for twenty minutes. Yeah,
0: or if you if you could get if you could put it in pill form, right? If exactly. You could, the benefits of of going for a twenty minute run in pill form with the most amazing medicine yeah. in the world, right? Yeah. But yeah, that, that's also an interesting or an interesting point that reminds me of from the Spark book that is also worth experimenting with. Apparently, for there there is a um, a gender difference here. Apparently, for women. A a lower intensity state is more beneficial, and for men, a higher intensity is more beneficial. So, for women, um, if you go for a you know a light run where you're not really pushing yourself, right? You're just getting you're just getting yourself moving, but you're not um, yeah, you're not like you don't go to that psychological barrier where it's like oh my god, I have to push through this, right? that is probably going to be better in terms of your brain performance afterwards. And for men, it's better to go a bit higher, right? to, to go a bit harder, push yourself a bit harder. I can't remember, you know, the, the, in the book, it explains the brain chemistry of this, all of which I've forgotten by now, but I remember this detail, which I mentioned also because, you know, if you try this out, if you go exercise in the morning, let's say, and you're like, oh, this doesn't work for me, try a different intensity because that also can make yeah. a difference. I think, and I think it's important Uh, at
2: least for me, that I have a few different types of what I call movement practices or exercise. So for me, it's important to have my sort of heavy lift days. And I I really focus on something called high-intensity strength training. And then um, instead of like, I guess, when I'm in the gym, it's more of this high-intensity. So high-intensity just means something you go all out and if Mm -hmm. something's high intensity, you can do it a very short time before you burn out. Mm -hmm. If something's low intensity, you can just keep going and going and going and going. So, Mm -hmm. um, so that focuses a certain sort of um, uh, area of exercise that I'm focused, like basically building my muscle mass in like the most bang for my buck way. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I have a lot of like playful movement practices so I do something called acrobatic yoga or yoga, And this is super cool because you're doing all of this gymnastic kind of whole body, um, very kind of muscular movements, but it's playful. Mm-hmm. So you don't even realize you're doing it mm-hmm. and you're, you're training with other people. Yeah. So it really pulls you into the movement without treating it like going to the gym. And then I really got into martial arts a few years back too. And this got me like really studying movement complexity and movement quality mm-hmm. um, not like I don't do it to fight people or <laughs> I, like somebody could definitely beat me up but it's more about I'm like studying movement mm-hmm. and that's become super important to me
0: yeah which I another thing that reminds me of is that if you're listening to this and you're like well I hate exercise you probably just haven't found the thing you enjoy, because I mean, movement is such an inherently human thing. It's such Mm -hmm. an archaically human thing, and it's an inherently enjoyable thing. Mm -hmm. And it's quite likely that maybe, you know, in your school years, it was ruined for you, Mm -hmm. but there's so many things you can do. There's so many things that, um, I'm sure that everyone can find something
1: that doesn't feel like exercise because it's just so much fun.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's, it's, it could be unexpected. Dancing counts. Yeah, yeah, totally. Social dance, like salsa, totally counts. It's movement. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's complex movement. Yeah. yeah.
1: Playful. Yeah. Super complex. Yeah, yeah. actually. With a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I
0: think that's also interesting, like complex movement. It's, that's that's um, where, you know, you learn dance moves or martial arts moves, and things like that. I think that is also an interesting combination of actually so many things because on the one hand, you have a brain and body you know, both are active. Which I would say, you know, when you're lifting heavy weights, they're not. Your brain is basically not doing anything. Right? It's like <laughs> yeah. You're, going, you're all. I need more power, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you don't have that effect. But if you're trying to learn a dance move or a martial arts movie like your brain is involved. Like you're trying, you're watching someone do the move. You're trying to copy all the subtleties of the movements. Also, there's especially martial arts. There's a uh an element of rationale and logic in it right because it has to be effective somehow you have to understand why this motion this way in order to whatever you know to deflect this attack or, or whatever it is right so there's there's a whole like your body and your brain are both working on this and it, then it's also i find it really mind it's, it's like a mindfulness practice right because there's so many details to focus on yes that you can totally occupy your mind with doing this and you can turn off this noise so there's a kind of a a meditative aspect to that which We'll not get into because obviously you should also be meditating. <laughs> We're not going to get into it. Get started this. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because especially with you guys, I mean, we should probably talk another hour or so Ooh. about yeah.
1: that. <laughs>
2: you know, I would just say there's another practical aspect about martial arts I didn't expect, and it's my favorite thing about studying. For me, it's Aikido, mm-hmm. and it's falling. Mm. Like falling <laughs> became one of these <laughs> pursuits to be the most soft, gentle mm-hmm. feather faller where I could do it um, on pretty much every surface and I've had some pretty nasty falls that didn't mm. like I landed so soft and it was programmed into my body the the thing I remember the most is I was learning how to longboard in Budapest which is another cobblestone city I don't even know <laughs> and uh, but I, I was getting pretty good at it and uh, and so I'm going faster this is probably a month after I started and I like went over a rough I think it was like a Braille um, surface, surface yeah. so people like blind people can know how they're walking mm. down the road. And it just threw my balance off enough that I fell off the back of the board and landed flat on my back. But I landed so spread out mm. that nothing happened and I didn't, and I protected my head so mm. that I didn't, hit my head on the back and the board went off into traffic and got run over by like two buses <laughs> but I was okay. And I was like, it's just studying yeah. that was super practical yeah. and down the road, you know, when if I have big falls, yeah, it's
0: going to help. For sure. Judo, I, I trained judo when I was a child and that saved, I'm pretty sure, several of my bones. Um, you know, over all the times I fell off of bikes and boards and all kinds of things. Mm. But And it's also interesting because if you think about it, you know, basically falling is just is actually quite natural, right? If, you, if you're if you moving through nature all the time, you're going to fall every once in a while. And it's it's only in our world where that's such a... You know, where, where you can basically go for decades without falling. People yeah. are afraid yeah. of yeah. the ground.
2: Yeah, I mean, you pull... I'm sure you know you pull people into a martial arts studio and they're mm. just like... They're so afraid of falling. Yeah. I mean, rightly so, because they just have yeah. no experience with it and can just be... It's a movement complexity that's super practical. Yeah, we're totally
1: disconnected from hard surfaces. Everything needs to be soft, yeah, smooth, comfy, and yeah. and pillows and all Except that. Except if stuff. our feet go on it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Actually, I have to say, in the in the barefoot running world, mm-hmm. everybody's a, like, um, well, people think hard is bad, mm-hmm. and actually. The harder and the smoother the surface, the easier it is. Oh, really? The rougher and the softer the surface, the harder it is. Like, like the more trained you have to be. Well, because the surface will compress and mm. you're sinking in. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, barefooters, when, when if your technique's right or you've just been doing it your whole life, uh, you learn how to interact with the ground in a soft, subtle zero impact way and there's also no abrasion mm. so barefooters don't have calluses because they're they they have a high complexity of how they interact with the ground mm-hmm. and so everything's soft supple and zero abrasion um, where even like a marathon runner in a nice soft tennis shoe will have blisters at the end of it because their foot's been slipping yeah. sliding in the shoe for 26 miles
1: Another element that I think goes more uh, camouflaged about movement is that I got that from the book called uh, Movement Matters from Katy Bowman. Mm-hmm. Basically, what she presents is that movement is also important for the environment because the more static we are, the more cars yeah. and more energy that we consume, and she makes this claim that just move more for your own sake and for the sake of the planet as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, it's nice true. Point. I mean, if you if you only if you only ever move from your desk to a car to another desk then you don't really care about what the world in between looks like, right? <laughs> I was just uh, I was watching this cool TED talk on
2: um on like fungal networks, and the thing is, when you walk over a natural surface, you're kicking up nutrients for. Mm for the fungal network and then they they end up feeding all the plants and so there's actually you moving in nature has an added benefit to the environment <laughs> yeah. in that oh, way. Oh
0: and and on the on the note of moving in nature that's another thing where there's a bunch of studies showing that um, just exposure to nature right. can make a difference also you know for your ability to focus and for your uh, for your productivity and for your yeah ability to focus so like for removing all this distracting mind noise right? If you go for a 20-minute walk in a forest, huge difference. If you go for a 20-minute walk in a city, not really any difference, right? Yeah. So that's another thing where if you have the opportunity and if you're a digital nomad, for example, and you can choose where you live, like choosing an environment where you can get that nature exposure can, again, make a difference. And you know, that's also, it's, it's actually, I mean, this isn't anything new because it, it, I think it used to be more common for creatives and intellectuals to have like their retreats, right, right. where they where it's like, OK, I'm going away to write a book and I'm going away, you know, not to my flat in downtown Manhattan or something. I'm going away into some little hut in the mountains or in the yeah. forest so that I can focus on my writing. And when that gets too much, I go out into nature, which clears me out. And then I go back to writing. Another thing, so to, to wrap this up, let's see, I have, I have one more intervention, like movement intervention that I have used, which is, and I like that it depends on where I'm staying, but if I'm somewhere where there's like, maybe there's a hallway outside or where I just have a bit of space to move through, right, in an apartment, where, so the kind of thing where, let's say I'm wearing one of these trackers, it buzzes at me, I should get some movement, where I will just move across the space a couple of times in different ways. So you know, like Spider-Man push-up or or lizard yeah, crawling yeah. across the floor, like, you know, bear walks, frog hops, whatever, all these kind of weird ways of just moving
1: yeah.
0: up and down a relatively short space. Right. So in, in like a living room, like the one we're standing in here, it's not huge, but you could do it. Right. Yep. And and that's also something for me like to, to add to, right. If you, if you think about, okay, I'm um, like, we talked about maybe sitting, sitting on the floor, standing and in between just getting some, putting in some laps of of this kind of movement is just something that also I found just really helps me, you know. I mean, I feel even if I just do that for probably like three minutes, yeah. it's, it's almost nothing, right? But I just feel better. I feel more ready to get mm-hmm. back into it after doing that. I think there's something, I mean, the way you think is
2: based on the way you interact with the world. Yeah. So if you learn how to interact with the world in a more complex way, your cognition is going to get more complex in the way you think about things and make associations so there's a real mind body connection here yeah. yes so that's that's my argument is like you want to be more product- productive you want to be more creative you want to get more shit done then it's you need to learn how to be more complex with your world yeah and unfortunately the modern environment is
1: very simplistic so
2: in in a, in a movement capacity so yeah.
1: One last thing that I want to add, which for the digital nomad lifestyle is very useful, is using, in this case, it's an app called Freeletics that -hmm. I've been using for the last year. And the best thing about it is that I don't need anything to exercise. I just need two square meters. Mm -hmm. And it gives me workouts, high-intensity workouts, very rarely, more than half an hour in total, that kick my ass. Mm -hmm. And thanks to that, I've been able to put some muscle and at the same time, you know, travel and yeah. not have the, you know, the the struggle of where do I go exercise? Yeah, yeah. I need to find a gym. And yeah. yeah, it's kind of like body calisthenic
2: CrossFit almost. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, Mikkel just got me into Freeletics because <laughs> I was struggling to get to the gym the last month or two. And then I I, uh, I saw you doing that mm-hmm. and the app looked cool. Uh, so I tried it out and it's it's been really useful to keep me moving every day when I can't go to the gym. All
0: right. And of course, everything we talked about links to these apps and all that stuff is going to be in the show notes. And that's it for the episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Matt and Mikkel. I really enjoyed this. And like I said, it's probably not your typical kind of entrepreneurship podcast talking about physical things like this. But I do believe this makes a huge difference. And one of the books I mentioned, the Spark book, I'll link to that in the show notes. You know, if, you, if you're if you unconvinced yet, if you're thinking, well, okay, that, that was that was interesting, but does it really make such a big difference? Then I really, really recommend you read that book. It was eye-opening for me. And I'll link to that in the show notes. You can get the show notes at activegrowth.com forward slash 22. I'd also like to read a recent review we got, which is from Jay from Germany and he says, best podcast about marketing and entrepreneurship ever. That's a pretty good review title, thank you very much. The review reads, without exaggeration, this is the best podcast about marketing and entrepreneurship ever. Always waiting for new episodes. This reminds me that I'm in a procrastination trap and recognition is the first step for changing things. This podcast is changing my point of view and is going to make a big difference. Great job. Thank you very much for this review, Jay. And we really appreciate it if you enjoy this podcast. We really appreciate it if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And of course, we are also always welcoming your reviews, your feedback, your comments, and your questions. We want this to be a dialogue. So what you can do is you can go to the show notes, activegrowth.com forward slash 22, where you can tap a button to leave a voice message, or you can leave a written comment, or you can tweet us at ActiGrow, A-C-T-I-G-R-O-W, at ActiGrow. Tweet us your question, and we answer some of the questions on the podcast. We also reply to questions in comments and so on. So please, if you have anything to share, if you have your story to share, if you have any questions, then just get in touch through any of these channels and it will help us make even better content for you in the future. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.